Hey honeys, this is your host Marissa. Welcome to the Honey Health and Wellness Podcast. Get ready to unlock your full potential as I dive into all things health, wellness, spirituality, and self-development. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I've got Dr. Sarah Jane today on the podcast, which is really exciting. So Dr. Sarah Jane is a network spinal chiropractor. She's a yoga and meditation teacher, holistic counsellor, and an an energy facilitator. So um, it's quite a lot to get into there, isn't there? Um, You're amazing. So I guess you're based in Melbourne. I've heard so much about you. For some reason, your name kept popping up continuously in conversations. And I was like, okay, I've got to get this lady on the podcast. So I've heard so much about your work. Um, So... Let's get into it, really. What is spinal energetics? Can you explain to me what you do, how you got into it? Yeah, definitely. So spinal energetics is a modality that has been created uh, based off, I guess, many different uh, avenues that I've tried along the way. So you just mentioned a few of them there uh, Mm -hmm. in the little opening. So I did used to be a network spinal chiropractor. That's a type of chiropractic that uh, is working with the tone of the nervous system and light touch chiropractic, Mm -hmm. uh, which really got me uh, looking into other ways of healing outside of the, I guess, which sounds strange, but the norms of alternative healing. (laughs) So there's still some mainstream kind of value systems that happen even in the alternative healing world. So network spinal is something that was developed in the 80s by a man called Donnie Epstein, and he was really um, uh, far advanced in his ideas and thinking. Uh, So I learned network spinal. I also learned things like Reiki, yoga, kundalini yoga teaching, um, meditation, uh, I fell in love with something called EMDR therapy. Mm-hmm. I found a huge interest in psychotherapy, but also um, transpersonal psychotherapy, which relates to it, I guess, some philosophy in regards to the spirit, the soul, why we're here, things like Joseph Campbell's work, Carl Jung's work. Um, so, yeah really fell in love with all these different modalities that kind of blended uh, the Eastern thought system with the Western thought system. So spinal energetics has been birthed as a result of my interest in all of these different things and including my own um, journey, I guess, in in healing as well. So it's it's a modality that works within the Buddhism and Hinduism framework and philosophy, but then also brings in things such as the chakras, as well as the spine itself and the nervous system itself. So we're looking at things like sympathetic dominance, parasympathetic um, states, and changing the states of consciousness uh, through the spine itself and the energetic systems that are connected to the spine and the nervous system. Wow, that's like so much to um, unpack in there. So, <laughs> how long have you got? Yeah, Marissa, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> like that's so much to um, get into. So, I guess you know, from if someone walking through the experience, if I was a client, you do you find that you usually are working with people um, that are trying to move through traumas, emotional issues things like that and then you would you would I guess further move into it by figuring out if they have a dominance in 
um, was it the parasympathetic or the sympathetic, did you say? Yeah, so most of us have a sympathetic dominance in the West. Right. Um, so that's usually our fight or flight nervous system. Yeah. And parasympathetic is when we're resting and digesting. And that's why a lot of us have issues with our sleep and our gut, especially yeah. now. Um, so we can really assist with, I guess, nervous system disorders that are related to those kind of things. And yes, we see a lot of people who have experienced a lot in their life whether you label it as trauma or emotional distress or things that events that have occurred that are outside someone's window of tolerance Mm -hmm. um, that have then transpired not only into a a mental symptom but at times a physical symptom so we treat people in a way that the mind the body and the soul are connected so they're they're interrelated and so what we try to do is really figure out um I guess the root causations or the root aggravator as to why um, people are feeling the way that they are feeling. And, you know, we incorporate things like talk therapy. I come from a psychology background and a counselling background. However, I found that the talk therapy um, led us to a certain extent with the mind and the mentality, but then the body sometimes was still holding on to certain things uh, that the mind's rationale couldn't alter. So that's when things like somatic work and spinal energetics come into play. And what we're doing is we're working with the body's release system in regards to that as well. So we're working with the mind, the body, and then we are also working with, I guess, um, you know, it does sound a bit woo-woo, but ultimately we are all here for a reason. We have dharma, we have kismet, we have destiny, whatever your belief system might be. And that's what we're working with in terms of the energetic layers and the energetic systems that we are interrelating with all of this work as well. Yeah, right. And I can definitely relate to what you're saying in terms of, you know, talk therapy can only get you so far. And I think that especially for people who are quite like self-aware and conscious of their behaviours, there's only so much that you can intellectualise that um, Mm -hmm. and then you kind of feel that you're in the same spot that you started even though you have probably progressed in some way it's um something to do on that energetic level like you explained so I think that the work you're doing is very significant I feel like people are becoming a lot more um open to these um types of modalities which is a really positive step forward and like I love Mm -hmm. that you mix that kind of western and eastern um those modalities together um I think that's where a lot of powerful healing can occur so Mm -hmm. yeah wow Mm -hmm. that's great so, I mean, how, what is the significance of the spine in all of this? So is that like a particular area in the body where energy is held or why the spine? So the spine's really important for a lot of reasons. If you're looking at it just from a pure Western and physical reason, the spine is really the gateway to a human being's ability to move, to think. It's your nervous system. So your spine is connected to your brain. You can't have a brain without a spine or a spine without a brain. They are interconnected as one. That is your nervous system. So through, you know, um, the spine, there's a bunch of, things called meninges, which is these white fatty tissues which help the communication um, to be clear through the spine and through um, up into the brain to get things uh, communicating in a clear way. Um, But also we have things like our nerves and nerves that uh, I guess refer to certain organs as well. So there's certain parts in the the back um, 
or spine, so to speak, that have vertebrate nervous spines that relate to certain organs. And that's really important in terms of our function as human beings as well. Mm-hmm. And you can see just how important the spine is when it's been injured, so to speak. So um, it's such a strong thing, but such a fragile thing too. So mm-hmm. it's working with the innate wisdom of the spine and the brain. So we're trying to work with the intelligence that's the same thing that gets your heart beating, the same thing that digests your food, the same thing that pumps your heart. Those things that we don't necessarily think of is all the nervous system. So they're automatic functions, yes, but there's a lot always going on. In terms of an Eastern perspective and an energetic perspective, the spine holds a whole bunch of energetic wheels and energetic centres, and that's where most of it is coming from. Whether you call it something like kundalini, prana, chi, these are all different names from different philosophies where there's a belief system that energy resides in the spine, especially the base of the spine, going upwards up into ascension through certain things like the chakras, which is what we tap on in spinal energetics. So we are working with the energetic system of the spine as well as the physical spine and the physiology that occurs between the brain and the spine itself. Wow, 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 wow. Because, yeah, that, thank you for explaining that because um, on your Instagram um for anyone who, who follows um, Dr. Sarah will know what I'm talking about. If you don't know, go follow her on Instagram. You'll see the videos. They're so epic. But you literally will see you, you know, at work and you see people's bodies being kind of lifted up off the mm. bed. And I think it's really cool. I look at it and I'm like, wow, I want that done to me. But I think, I, you know, I've shown other people and I'm like, oh, I'm having Dr. Sarah on the podcast. Like, look at this. And they see the video and they yeah. They shocked, like, yeah. like, oh my god, like, what are, you, what are you, what's happening here? And I think a lot of people look at it and they may, um, you know, think it's some wizardry happening, like, you know, they've lost all control of their body because that's what it looks like. It just looks so, um, I don't know. Um, it's not something that you see every day. People aren't used to seeing that, so it's great that you explain that. And I guess, would you say that you're is it energy that's helping, you know, people move kind of off the bed, that energy is moving through their body? Is that what's happening? Yeah, it's definitely energy moving through the system in terms of, you know, getting it to flow in certain ways. It's like standing on a garden hose. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? If there's a blockage there, it can stop the way that the movement is created through the system. And it is important to note this is all innate movement. So Mm. people are doing this in a way that feels very natural, very cathartic, and almost it's a remembering of movement. It becomes something that's not foreign. When you're on the table, it's a really interesting experience. And, you know, what we're doing when working with the energetic systems, we're also making touches, whether it's directly on the physical spine or through um, um, layers of the energy system, such as the emotional layer, the mental layer, um, the personal soul layer, whatever it might be. And that's kind of where we're looking for some kind of resonance to open up these areas that I guess have been closed or offline for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And so once you get these movements happening, people are actually, what they're doing is there's certain areas in the body that create tension. What that tension might be, it might be bound there because of an emotional stressor. It might be bound there because of a chemical stressor. It might be bound there because of physical. Whatever it might be, whatever the causation is, is that tension pattern itself. 
So that's why we get really, you know, incredible um, experiences for people with this work because we're not actually physically manipulating or forcing the body to do anything. What we're doing is finding areas of the body which has richness, finding areas of the body where there is disconnection but finding the connection within the disconnection. And with that, the body itself goes, hang on, what have I created here? Let's let this go and unwind it in whatever movements possible. Sometimes I have to interact with with them in a way if I see an avoidance behaviour or if I see um, if I hold them in a certain place that that might get the energy moving or the breath specifically moving to certain areas where they have been offline or disconnected. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I might also say, you know, um, breathe into this area or stretch through here and I'll assist them in that way. But ultimately it is the body's intelligence that's creating those movements that you see. It's a somatic therapy in that regard. Something else that does something similar is something called trauma release. And I don't know if you've heard of trauma release, but it is something that was developed by a physiotherapist in the 70s and it was for uh, those who have experienced PTSD from the Vietnam War. And what they do is they would teach them a certain thing, um, an exercise to place their feet together and it would enable a, a shake-it-off response. Right. And, and that would really assist them um, in terms of their body processing and integrating what they had seen, what they had felt and what had occurred for them. And that's what we're doing in a very similar way. Mm, wow, it's seriously incredible. If you think about, you know, I think, you know, traditional ways that people deal with um, trauma and, um, how, yeah, trauma, emotional trauma specifically, it's this very compartmentalised approach. It's like, you know, this is your brain and this is your body, but um, you really can't you know, get to the healing without uh, tapping into that. So seriously incredible. I was going to get into this um, question a little bit later, but I think um, it would be appropriate to ask you this now. Um, I wanted to ask you what the five different layers you explore during spinal energetics and what the significance is of each of these five different layers. Yeah, so we have certain processes that we follow um, that tell us where the areas of bound tension are in that person's body. And when I say bound tension, those areas that aren't free, those areas that are bound due to experiences that that person has either undergone recently or um, in their past further along. However, usually the layer that's first presenting is the most surface layer. And then as we work deeper, we're getting deeper and deeper, almost like an onion. (laughs) We're getting to different layers as we work through um, more sessions with the client. But We've got different layers. So you've got your physical layer, which is directly on someone's physical body. Mm -hmm. Most of us in the West feel like that's where our body ends. (laughs) Like that's our body. Um, But it's not, you know, it goes further than that, much further than that. So then what we then check is the next layer up, which is the emotional layer. And what that is is the areas in the system that are related to emotions. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then we check the mental layer. And that can be uh, more so related to how the person's mind is interpreting things, um, their perceptions, their rationale. And then we go up to spiritual, which is more, um, I guess, energetic layer, what's happening with their chakras, what's happening with their kundalini, what's happening with their prana, what's happening with their chi, what's happening with their their energy flow in the system. And then we go to our personal soul, which is another thing, which is kind of the person-specific 
dharma, the person's specific reason for being here, the person's um, why their soul chose to come here. And, and that's that's a certain belief system that other people may or may not resonate with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's I think the stat is one in 400 trillion chance that you were born here as a human being. So for me, that's mind-blowing, yeah. So everyone has a reason for living. Everyone has a reason for being here. And everyone has a spiritual connection, which is the spiritual layer as well, to the universe, to the whole But once you actually hit personal soul, it's about what you're here specifically to do. What what can we um, do to assist you to live your purpose and have a more meaningful life? Wow. So I can imagine that you have such a different array of clients that come to see you. So, you know, you're probably able to work with people that are dealing with, yes, emotional um, trauma, but also do you have people coming to you if they're feeling maybe stuck in their lives, stuck in their Mm -hmm. relationships, just feeling like an overall stagnation because it I, it seems like the work you do would be just so um, liberating, like to be able to understand yourself on those different layers. I can imagine that would just change the definitely your life. Yeah, definitely because you know we have a lot of people who are interested in de- the development of self who come in um, this work as well, mm. and you know they the fact that they feel stagnant in their life is kind of already uh, knowing that there's something not moving, something not connected um, through their system in a way that they want it to be. They can feel that something's not quite, they don't feel quite connected. There's a stagnation there. There's a blockage there, whatever word you might want to utilise. And so that might bring them in. So this can assist them with feeling, um, I guess, freer, lighter, less bound by the past, less um, fearful of the future and more so living in the present moment, which, again, is kind of touching on that Eastern philosophy uh, mentality as well. But really that's what we're wanting our clients to connect to. You know, what what is it that they're wanting to do? If they weren't afraid, what would they do? Who were they before they were told who they should be? We're really trying to connect them to the real version of who they are, which can be very challenging in, in this day and age and especially like I said before in the western system where you know um, we're told to be a certain way so strongly there's a large cultural conditioning um, that we are competing with as well so to be who you are um, in regards to (laughs) having those kind of experiences can be challenging so we're here to assist people with that so we get people coming in who are wanting to develop themselves further, you know, they're already into meditation, they're already into yoga, they're already into breath work, you know, they're doing the work already and this is something that can really help take them to the next level as well as integrate the work that they are already doing. Then we have people with emotional things, like you mentioned, we get a lot of mental um, health, um, a lot of people who have experienced anxiety, who are experiencing low mood, um, who are experiencing physiological symptoms in their body, such as gut problems or sleep issues or whatever it might be as a result of something emotional that has occurred in their life. Mm. You know, um, even things such as a breakup when we work in the heart centre and we're working in the area of making people feel safe in their body and in their heart again, that gives them the opportunity to process what they've gone through as well as then transform that and then um, be open again for for allowing something like love in. So we've got a very large array of clients 
come in and see us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, on that note of touching on all of all of the different emotions that we may feel, I wanted to kind of get your opinion on this pain and pleasure balance. Mm-hmm. I do feel that, you know, in society there is this overall goal of happiness and it's quite an unusual thing because I guess happiness is this, it's just almost like this, figment of our imagination like it's not really an end destination to be happy it's just mm-hmm. another one of our emotions I guess I mean I wanted to hopefully deconstruct this with you and I wanted to dig into what you think maybe the consequences are of not delving completely into all of our emotions that we feel because there's such this um, suppression and this pushing down of emotions that don't feel good um, and I can imagine you probably come across this a lot in your work and yeah I wanted to hear your opinion definitely so for me I am from a Buddhist background you know I've spent a lot of time doing Vipassana meditations I've also um, spent a lot of time in the east whether it's India Thailand Vietnam Cambodia Laos um, a lot of time in eastern culture and um, Bali whatever it might be so for me in my personal belief system happiness is something that's just very fleeting in the human experience Mm. so I would say and and, you know this is a very Buddhist view so people may or may not agree with this but I would say life is 90% of pain and maybe 10% of of enjoyment in happiness though and that's that's not to be like you know life is bad and you get glimpses of happiness but you know, if people really sit back and think about it, like a lot of life is like it's like hard. It's, it's really painful. Hard. Life's really painful. Um, you know, how you endure that pain or is a choice to a degree. You know, you don't have to suffer in it. Mm. But that does not mean that there's not experience of pain. And so if your expectation is that life's supposed to be happy and joyful majority of the time, life's going to be challenging for you when you realise that that's probably not the case. You yeah. know, um, it's not reality. So yeah. what, we're, what, what our goal is is to connect you to the reality and the practicality of this world because we are all here. We need to have the practical skill set to have strength and resilience and survive these things, not only survive but actually grow from it and be better from it as a result. Um, But our goal isn't to to keep people in a happy state because like everything, everything changes. Um, Once you're happy, it will change again. There's never a pure state of happiness that you're going to be set in forever. So that's why sometimes the goalposts change as well. I'll be happy when this happens. Oh, then you get there. Hang on a minute. I was happy for a minute. Now I'm not again. So, you know, sometimes people can get caught up in achievement or caught up in whatever it might be. Relationships can be an addictive thing for people as well, whatever, Um, because they're placing happiness in an external thing outside of themselves. Now that doesn't mean you can't experience peace and enjoyment of being here of course you can um but ultimately life is um an experience to push you to grow to learn and you can't do that if you are staying stagnant and safe in a sense of just in one you know consciousness state it doesn't work that way um so that's not our goal and and we're quite clear um with clients in terms of that but what can make someone more deeply happy um in their heart and in their soul is living a life that is in alignment with who they are. So spinal energetics is an alignment of the mind, the body, and the soul for the person, and that's how we look at it. Yeah. In terms of repression and suppression, 
Um, again, it kind of goes back to that cultural thing and this belief that things are either good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, things aren't good or bad. That's a perception thing. Um, again, in Eastern culture, they, they are very neutral about events. They're very neutral about the happenings that occur in their life. They don't label it. They don't label it as this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. This is a bad thing because we actually don't know. Um, it's not until we have hindsight of something that we can look back and kind of go, oh, okay, maybe this happened because of this or or whatever it might be. But having some form of trust and faith in um, whether it's the universe, whether it's God, whether it's whatever you believe in, um, that things are happening not necessarily for your highest enjoyment or your highest happiness, yeah. but things are happening for your soul to learn what that needs to learn in this lifetime, mm-hmm. then you lose this ability to label things and you surrender to it and you release that expectation and you welcome experience. And even more so, you welcome the painful experiences because without those, you can't ever experience the highest of highs in life either. So mm-hmm. you need you need everything. You need the duality of the good, the bad, if you're to label it. You need the duality of the happiness and the suffering. You need it all because that's that's part of um, the experience of being here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is such a, pow- a powerful concept to understand because then you can move about the world in a much more um, free way. You know, I feel like we've been sold a lie in that sense. Like really it's only up until this year that I've really clicked on to the fact that there's always going to be pain. Like you just need to find ways to um, either understand it, move through it or welcome it, like you say. And mm-hmm. then you can move through life being like, dude, like whatever, like whatever happens, happens instead of trying to run around with like this little like bubble wrap on you and try and, you know, move through everything trying to you know avoid um painful experiences so um, you've got the belief in yourself that you can do it once that resilience and that strength has occurred you really start to have that self-belief you know that you can go through things and be okay still and you can go through the process of it which can be painful but then you know there's stages of grief for example that you move through and then you come out a different version and so you, you almost start to not necessarily welcome all painful experiences, but there's a peace in it knowing that you, you, can, you can do it. And I, I find that within myself there's very little things that I'm very fearful of in terms of life experiences. Yeah. One of them would be losing people I love. I find that still a challenge as a human being yeah. um, on this earth, but yeah. we're all ultimately going to lose everyone and everything that we've yeah. ever loved. It's such a yeah thing to think about but then it's also peaceful because you're like well like it is what it is like what are you going to do about it well, it's all a big joke like and that's what I think sometimes like I've been in meditation like for hours hours upon hours days and days and then I'm just like I start laughing I'm like this is actually a joke like what is yeah. this so, uh, <laughs> you can't take it you know like logic and conceptualize things that it's like you actually don't know what's going on like what are you trying to like you don't know until you ascend to the next level that it's life and maybe you have a better understanding but yeah it's also ignorant you know we have an ignorant belief that life is about us and centered around us you know (laughs) and ignorant that things must happen the way that we want them to and and to control things and just isn't it's not just about us it's about you know all of us as a whole and yes we all I do believe we all are here for a reason I really believe that um and we're all here for a reason as well but it's it's delving into that and connecting to that that's going to actually give you 
that sense of um, that you belong here. Because yeah. I know a lot of my clients come here and they're like, they sent me to the wrong place. Like this yeah. isn't isn't where I'm meant to be. And, yeah. you know, I, I resonate with that very much, but you wouldn't be here if you weren't meant to be here. In fact, you've been sent to the exact right place and the exact right time. But I think also in the West, we're brought up in a way where we're highly protected sometimes from our parents and our family, where they want to protect us from pain. They want to protect us from negative experiences. Mm -hmm. They want to protect us from loss. And then you grow up and you realise, hang on a minute, (laughs) hang on, Um, this isn't quite right. My parents aren't who they thought they are. They're not, they're just human. They make mistakes. They don't know everything. Hang on a minute, you know, um, you know, so there's kind of that that protection that comes in um, as a child for some people and, and that can be really challenging when that veil's lifted and you become your own person and you, and you start to see the world for what it is. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we think we're doing the right thing in terms of um, trying to limit the, the pain or the suffering that our children can go through in regards to that. But ultimately we want resilient and um, strong and, you know, emotionally um, emotionally resilient but also having the depth to experience all the different emotions and so we can develop them as we grow rather than just having these experiences in life happen to us, forcing us to grow, if yes. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess um, consciously being able to move through the experiences as opposed to just being, you know, just around in them and kind of not really being able to understand that's right going on I guess on that note are there are there ways that you um maybe advise clients how to honor the transformations that they experience in the sessions that they have with you because I I would imagine that there are some very significant breakthroughs that they have and are there you know I guess there's a difference between you know coming to an understanding about yourself and then there's another level of being able to honor that part of yourself that you've just uncovered and yeah, I wonder are there um, are there specific ways you move through those transformations, like meditation or um... yeah, definitely. And the way that we work through the sessions, you know, I take people a little bit outside of their comfort zone. I find where the comfort is, and I'll take them just a little bit outside of that, so that there's some um, movement for growth and, and things like that. But after each session, um, the session itself is really the magic. Um, in terms of of what I believe in Um, so that's kind of my focus is giving them a session that's really really about what they need at that moment in time I also look at the client as a different person every time they're on my table Mm. I look at the version of who they are the version they were last week's different the energy that's in the table today another version so we we treat people very uniquely each time based upon what we find as well we don't have um, any assumptions about what they should or shouldn't be or what we're expecting to find we're very open to whatever we do discover on the table together and it's very much a a dance almost between practitioner and client which is why um, the connection between the two is is really important with this work so that the person does feel held and safe and um, able to let go of things that they want to let go of without fear of being judged or you know um, they really commit to that in the session but we you know suggest things like there's certain yoga asanas for certain processes there's certain um, mantras for certain processes meditation um you know I suggest that people go and and learn it correctly not just do you know 
10 minutes on their headspace app, which I'm not saying is um, <laughs> good, bad, negative, nothing of the sort. But I think that if you are going to meditate, you need to commit yourself properly to the practice. But it's also important that that's that we know that that's not for everyone either. So what we do is we try to find something that works with that person um, and what helps them integrate the work and then, you know, move forward and and um, see what other opportunities life can bring for them and to empower them, to make them feel like they're not just having life happen to them but they're actually actively participating in life and that they can create things within it. Yeah, wow, yeah, 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 yeah. I think um, I like what you touched on with that meditation because well, I think you bring up a really, um, really good point in that there is some understanding and base knowledge that would be beneficial um, with like um, meditation and understanding the practice because I, 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 meditation only really clicked for me once I, you know, read a little bit about it and I still have a very like basic understanding of it because I'm not very good at meditating probably because I don't understand it fully, you mm-hmm. know. But even still, before I read that, I none of it really made sense and I didn't understand why I'm sitting here for 10 minutes a day. And I didn't <laughs> think, like, I just didn't get it. I was like, this is not helping me. I'm like, what what's happening here? Sometimes like, it's not helpful and that's mm-hmm. why there's different forms of meditation as well. So I, I really like Osho's work because his meditation is very much focused on people of the West. And yeah. in his belief system, it's too challenging for someone like you and I to sit down for two hours a day and meditate. Literally. Yeah. yeah. So he has something called like a dynamic meditation. So something changes every 15 minutes. Wow. The first 15 minutes you're shaking. The next 15 minutes you're lying down still. The next 15 minutes, you're, you're jumping around and breathing. The next 15 minutes, um, you're sitting still. So he does something that's completely um, different and that gives the brain's attention span of the West 15-minute segments and intervals so that you still are meditating but not just this notion of sitting there. However, in my background with Vipassana, that's what you do. You sit there, you don't move, you don't look at anyone and for hours, hours upon hours. And that brings out a different experience again. However, I know that most people can't do that during the day and most people can't, um, that's not what they're wanting. So another option is also Vedic where you only meditate 20 minutes twice a day. You have a mantra and you sit there and you repeat the mantra over and over again twice a day for 20 minutes. And that's much more... Um, I guess, applicable uh, for those of us who are living the way that we live. So a lot of time I'll recommend Osho's work and the reason I recommend his work is because the way that he viewed um, the Western mind and us in the West is that we're too busy to sit down for two hours a day and meditate. We're we're not in that mindset that our brain and nervous system can welcome it. It's, it's, it's challenging, he believed. So what he would do is he created something like uh, dynamic meditation where for the first 15 minutes you're moving and you're shaking and then the next 15 minutes you're lying on the ground dead still. Then the next 15 minutes you get up and you're swaying from side to side and then the next 15 minutes you're sitting there and you are sitting there in stillness. So he would make it dynamic for our attention spans as as the way that we kind of live our lives today, which I found much more helpful. Um, mm-hmm. You can just go on to um, YouTube, you can go on to Spotify and you can get all of his playlists um, and you can start doing this work yeah. and he tells you when the 15 minutes is up, when it's not, 
all that kind of thing, and he incorporates breath and movement as well as stillness, which is very beneficial. Um, the other version yeah, that I suggest is called Vedic meditation. And in Vedic meditation, that's my dog barking, um, in Vedic meditation they give you a mantra and it's just, uh, you know, everyone has their own mantra. It's given to you specifically by your Vedic um, teacher. Cooper, stop. Whoa. Hey, come here. Because the gardener's here, he doesn't like him. Um, and so in Vedic meditation, oh, you're... <laughs> come, come here. Hey, look at me. Stop. Now he's listening. Um, so in Vedic meditation, your teacher will give you a mantra, which is very simple. It'll be something like aham or you know, a very, very simple mantra. Um, and it is specific for you. Yeah. The teacher um, picks it for you personally. And within that mantra, you repeat it over and over again for 20 minutes and then you do that twice a day. And that's something to get your brain to focus on by repeating the mantra over and over and mm -hmm. over again and very, very, very softly. And most of us can commit to 20 yeah. minutes a day, twice a day. Um, so with these kind of um different versions of meditation you can find one that works for you and um one that i guess is something that you enjoy rather than just feeling like this is really hard because things like vipassana you yeah. know they're very very challenging um and it can be very very difficult for people to switch their minds off to that state and then have to go back out mm -hmm. and work and you know that's why it's important to find something for you. So I suggest either the Osho meditations or um, Vedic and doing a Vedic course. And it's a couple of days and they teach you yeah. your mantra. They, they sit there with you and then you can go on and do the two, two times a day for 20 minutes, which is, you know, it's, it's um, still not easy to do, um, but it's something that you can do. It's, it's, yeah. As as a everyday person in Australia, it's something that we can do because unfortunately, you know, we aren't all living in the Himalayas. <laughs> we have day to day nice. stresses. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a lot. So yeah. those kind of practices, I think, are better suited to kind of the West and the way that we live. That's really um, great to hear because I'm I'm definitely going to try that because I've had this continuous battle with meditation and I just kind of thought one day I'm like. It just, yeah, I think I'm defeating the purpose sitting here, like struggling against this. So I'm definitely going to try those ocean meditations. Yeah. Um, that's probably really better for your brain. Yeah. Because you're, you're quite a fast brain. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. You enjoy am, it more. Yeah. Yeah, it can so be too. a very enjoyable experience um, because it's 15 minutes. Like it, it moves quite fast. So it, it's something that's a little bit probably – um, more for, uh, you know, where you're at in life rather than sitting there for an hour dead still, not moving. Yeah, no, I would cry if I had to do that. Okay. <laughs> That's not happening. That's not happening. Uh, <laughs> uh, I do have one more question for you. Um, this is a bit of a random one, but I'm really curious about Kundalini, Kundalini awakenings, all of these things. Um, and I wanted to, to give a bit of an explanation of what that is. Um, and is kundalini some energy that we can awaken or have a kundalini awakening ourselves it's something that i've heard um that you can awaken in yourself and other times i've heard that a certain experience needs to happen and it kind of just comes upon you so yeah yeah um look 
Kundalini awakening is something that's very, very interesting. There's a lot of, you know, works out there about it um, that are very interesting to read. A lot of them kind of sit on the fact that you probably need to experience some form of a spiritual emergency in life um, before maybe coming into a Kundalini awakening. Other people experience it in different ways where you, I guess, could bring it upon yourself. However, in my experience, you really want the foundations there before you start doing something like that. So you want to learn how to crawl before you run. So with the work that we're doing is what yeah. we're slowly unwinding that that energy, whether it's Kundalini, Prana, Chi, again, whatever belief system it might be, Kundalini is specific for this serpent-like energy that moves from the base up through um, to the crown and is connected to more of an awakening uh, way of living and approaching life. You know, there's certain things um, out there, modalities out there, such as Kundalini yoga, which is something very interesting and can help you start evoking that notion and doing it almost like through a training system and so that you're doing it slowly um, and in a way that's integrative and safe. Otherwise, there's things out there such as Kundalini activation processing, which, you know, gives you a similar experience instantaneously of what it might feel like to have that energy and that Kundalini through your system. Um, but it may not be as long lasting because you haven't necessarily um, built the steps, um, but you'll have glimpses of it in experience. Other people, they're just going through life <laughs> and something happens and then they're like, hang on a minute, what's going on here? Um, so it's there's quite a few different ways to access it, even things such as like psychedelic. And that kind of notion where you're expanding the energetic centers and expanding the the states of consciousness that have been in your awareness um, may experience um, or expose yourself to that kind of um, sensation that people speak of when they're undergoing a kundalini awakening. Um, for me specifically, it's been much more of a, a journey, not something that's instantaneously happened to me. Um, so for me, I think it's like anything, you don't want to go into something too fast and too deep, um, without the experience and without the knowledge and without this stability in the body. That's a really good explanation. I love that. That's, that's, um, clarified it for me. Thank you so much. Um, I feel like we covered so many things. Where can people find you? You're in, um, Armadale and one other area in Melbourne. Is that yeah, right? we're up in the Ranges. So we're up in Callista because I grew up that way. So I wanted to open a clinic up there. It's beautiful. So we've got one up there and then one in Armadale. And, yeah, I don't take new clients currently, but um, there's a lot of great practitioners who have been trained under me who do if you want to experience spinal energetics. Um, if you aren't in Melbourne, we have the availability for it to be done online in terms of online sessions as well if you want to experience it. So, yeah, that's, there's access um, for it no matter where you are in the world. Um, but in person, it's, always, um, a, it's a different experience. So I yeah. do suggest coming to an in-person practitioner. If you can, we also have the Spinal Energetics Practitioner directory, which you can log on to and see where if there's someone nearby in your city. Um, and, yeah, we have oh. courses coming up um, throughout the year. We've currently sold out all of Melbourne. We're going to New Zealand in a couple of weeks, which is sold out, and then going to LA. Um, but Gold Coast is still open currently, so that's going to be happening in June, so the applications are still open for that. Oh, my God, amazing. So do people who need out do any, like, pre – can they just – do they need to 
be or do anything prior to doing your course for spinal energy? Yes. So um, it's a four-day course. So we do prefer to, um, in the application process, they have to have already had some spinal energetic sessions. Um, But we also prefer that they come from a background of something already, whether it's uh, being a yoga teacher, whether it's being a breathwork facilitator, whether it's being a psychotherapist, we've had quite a physio, quite a lot of physios come through, a lot of chiropractors come through. You don't need those um, qualifications yeah. to that level, um, but we do give priority to people who already have, I guess, extensive understanding of anatomy and the body. Um, and then, you know, we have people like naturopaths, kinesiologists, um, just a whole range of yeah. different backgrounds um in terms of that but it is a four-day course so there's only so much we can cover which is why we prefer to um be very quite selective of who does the course um just because we want to make sure that the work is integral um and stays full of integrity through through um the people that we're training and yeah the course comes online in july so people all over the world can become a practitioner um but again, we'll have a, a strict um, application process. But we we usually allow um, for thirty people. We usually get around three hundred applications per course, and we allow um, thirty people in in each um, session, just so the group's small enough but big enough to to feel the energetic field. And and what's really exciting is you'll really um, be able to leave the course and be able to do this work, which is something that's very exciting for people. 